0: Welcome to Bicycles to the Rescue, the podcast that talks about all things bicycle, formerly known as N Plus One, uh, brought to you by the Cyclecraft Cycling Center located in Parsippany, New Jersey. I'm Brendan Poe, the owner of Cyclecraft and joined in the podcast Bat Cave, Kevin Eng, the keeper of the truth. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? All right. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, As we had discussed last time on our first inaugural episode of Bicycles to the Rescue, uh, all of the thousands of topics that are possible to uh, talk about, I figured I would uh, either make people happy or piss people off in the very first uh, full episode Hmm. where we talk about climate change. Uh, It's a hot-button topic uh, these days. The big C word. Uh, Is it real? Is it not real? Uh, Depends on who you talk to. Uh, if you're looking at social media these days, if you're, you know, depending on who you're friends with on Facebook, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of people that are 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 for or against. Uh, and it seemed that it was depending on your personal political leanings uh, that your opinion would lean one way or the other, whether or not climate change, A, was real, and B, whether it was caused by humans or not. Uh, there was an article uh, that I had pulled up. Uh, done in Oregon where they asked people uh, you know, whether they believed in climate change or not and what their political uh, leanings were. And it turned out that there were certain people that uh, agreed that uh, climate change was in fact caused by people uh, and that it was real, uh, and then people with a different political uh leaning, had decided that uh, while there it was some evidence that the climate was changing, that they weren't convinced at all it was caused by humans and there was nothing we could do about it. Um, so what's the what's the latest? I know you were looking at an article earlier uh, about that very topic. What do you got?
1: Uh, so as of recording uh, today, this is November 6th, 2019, um, there was a, a group of uh, 11,000 scientists and researchers from around the world who published a, a study basically of um, basically declaring that planet Earth is in squarely in a climate emergency or facing will face one in the very near future um, based on solely based on human activity.
0: Solely based on human activity. So that's uh, and, yeah, and, and, pretty
1: much every, all the, all the side effects that would, or basically the causes of it are almost entirely from human activity.
0: Interesting, so I, I read another article this morning though that somebody else had posted that had said that, uh, that you know people are pointing at the wildfires in California as being you know they 're saying look see climate change is causing this but when you know there, there are people in the forest uh, Fire Service who are trying to point that that it's not net, you know it 's not just that it 's climate change uh, that you know the, the, the fuel that 's available is really what the problem is with the uh, severity of the fires, but they had also said in the article that there was some uh, you know the fact that the season is longer is certainly not helping, and the season season is longer because it's warmer uh, and the uh, and the the rain isn't coming uh, as quickly as it should um, so anyway there there's there's lots of this this back and forth on whether or not uh, climate change is caused by humans uh, so I guess one of the questions I would ask is, does it matter if climate change is caused by us or not
1: uh I think it i mean. I think it does, um, because human activity is something that the planet wasn't necessarily, or the level of, of human interference, I guess you could say interference or influence on the planet. I don't think our ecosystem was naturally equipped to handle it clearly. Um, if that's, again, if that's what you believe, um, Certainly other factors that are purely natural, so to speak, also, um, you know, contribute to, say, rising sea levels or rising global temperature. Um, that's certainly not uh, not out of the question. Um, but that being said, I think that human activity is not making it any better. Let's put it that way.
0: Good point. Human activity is probably not.
1: It may not be making it worse, but it's certainly certainly not making, not making, it, making
0: better. it better. Absolutely. So I guess uh, in in terms of how we're feeling about you know how what we can do to mitigate any of the things that are going on, um, I, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say it almost doesn't matter whether or not the changes are caused directly by uh, you know human uh, activity or uh, or not. Um, but that any of the things that we're we're able to do, we may as well do them because they probably won't do any harm. So if you look at the media or you look at Facebook or you look at Twitter, uh, there are definitely some people that believe that the media says there's a climate change crisis. Some people believe the media that says it's not happening, uh, depending on uh, what your political leanings are. Uh, and does it matter what the degree of the crisis really is? So uh, if you believe the climate is changing, was it created by us or was it naturally occurring? And if you don't believe the climate is changing, well, I'm going to go out and say you're probably just not paying attention if you look at some of the data that's available. Uh, things like you know rainfall amounts are increasing, storm damage is getting more expensive. Uh, ecosystems in various places around the world are in fact changing. In fact, there, there are, are places that were, you know, that used to be cold all the time that are not cold all the time. And there are, uh, are bugs and bacteria that are emerging that haven't been around for tens of thousands of years because of the ice is melting.
1: True. Um, I, I have to, I don't have it here right now, but there was certainly an article uh, I read a couple of weeks ago um, where there's certain uh, areas of Siberia um, where, there's permafrost, which is essentially frozen soil um, that's been frozen for however many centuries or longer. That is now melting, and there's and a lot of scientists are concerned that there's things, you know, microbes, any any number of chemicals or substances that have been locked in that permafrost that are now basically coming out into the air, and they have literally no idea what they could be or what possible effect they could have.
0: Did, didn't they, wasn't there a woolly mammoth or two that they uncovered uh, there as well?
1: I that I don't, I didn't read about that. I,
0: th- I think that was the, the, the place where they're coming from. So maybe uh, the, uh, what was it the uh, uh, Jurassic Park movies are right. <laughs> going to start cloning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in addition to having microbes that'll kill us, they're now going to clone uh, woolly mammoths to see if they can bring those guys back to life.
1: I think there was another one. I read that uh, um, along the, Um, The ascent on Mount Everest, um, a lot of the um, bodies of climbers who have died on that are now being uncovered because the snowfall is going or the snow cover during the warmer season is not coming back as quickly as it usually does. So the bodies are becoming more uncovered um, recently.
0: Yep. So stuff is melting, whether you're, uh, regardless of what your politics are, it appears as though ice around the world is in fact, uh, melting in certain places that it normally wouldn't. Um, so here, you know, here's one of the, the hardest things about this is that, cause I have lots of friends who are, you know, who, who lean one way. And I have lots of friends who lean the other way. Uh, and, and I, I do have my own personal leanings that, uh, I, you know, I don't try to hammer people over the head with them. Uh, in, and, and I'm, I'm certainly, uh, Happy to allow people to, you know the, the this space to have their own opinions about things, uh, but it gets hard because if one person has a point about something and they say, "Well go ahead and look this up and they 'll cite articles or or uh, you know people that they heard saying one thing or another so I say okay well i 'm going to go look that up and uh, and then I go ahead and I google something uh, related to a, a topic that might have something to do with climate change uh, or any of the other things that are, are ancillary to it. Uh, and when you look at all the stuff that comes up, it's like I feel like my head is going to explode. Like, how would how would I possibly make sense of any of that?
1: True, and I, I think that's certainly a challenge. I mean, that's not a, a discredit to anyone who's making a you know a, a concerted effort to educate themselves. But I, I really think that probably most people, average people either don't have the the knowledge to really interpret a lot of the information that's out there. And that's not, again, not any demerit on those people. Uh, a lot of it is scientific research and, and the published, the, the publishing of that, which in my experience, it's not very easy to decipher for the average person because it's written by scientists for scientists. Uh, and a lot of it is jargon, which is difficult to understand. Um, and while I would say it's the media's job to translate some of that uh sometimes they're they either do a below average job or honestly they don't even try and that's that's a problem as well so there's there's certainly a lot of barriers to understanding some of this stuff.
0: Well, I, I think a lot of the media people that are also trying to decipher it for you are also in the same boat as we are. I mean, the, you know, they're, they're not any any smarter or dumber than we are, or have any more scientific background and, and able to. I mean, have you ever tried to read even a summary
1: from a white paper from a scientist? It's sure all the time. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty it's rough, and uh, I think that's again also not a demerit to the scientist. That's the way that they've learn to express their research and they're doing it in the most matter of fact and, and factual way as possible. And that's their responsibility. Um, and I guess it's up to other institutions to translate that. And I think that's where the problem is, is that a lot of people would rather um, exaggerate some of the information in there and cherry pick, cherry pick some, some clickbait, Pieces of information, rather than actually interpret it in any meaningful way.
0: So that's what I'm finding is a problem. I have no ability to vet any particular thing that I read, one way or the other. Uh, whether it was somebody from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, I don't even. You know, it's like I can't even. I mean, I never met the guy that wrote the paper, so it's. You know, how do I know whether he's real or not? It could mm-hmm. be something that that you know that that somebody uh, you know somebody. Uh, you know, in, in a, in a cabin in the woods somewhere, just wrote something phony and put it on the internet. I mean, this, I think this is the problem with the internet is there's no way to really figure out if something is true or not, unless I'm not going to go to school and get a four year degree, uh, you know, an undergraduate degree in, in chemistry, and then get a master's degree in climate science. I mean, you know, there, how, how do you vet anything that you're, you know, that you're coming
1: across? True. And in, well, I guess in a, in a former life, I guess, uh, I, I do have a bachelor's degree in, in journalism, um, and the way that I was taught to in, in the case of you know uh, publishing articles or media about scientific research being released, there is a degree of interpretation that has to happen. But if you're writing for a very general publication like a national newspaper or or I guess more more contemporarily a, a website, a, a mainstream website. Um, these articles really don't have the, the ability to be long enough or it detailed enough to explain the nuances of a scientific research paper. Um, and that's unfortunate because a lot of the nuance is really, where, is really where the heart of that information is. And the media that is supposed to explain it is not equipped to uh, communicate it. That's hard. It's very difficult.
0: <laughs> so, so at, at a, you know, I, I get to the point where I just lock up and go, well, I don't, I don't believe anybody about anything. But on the other hand, I, I can look around that I can, and I can, based on my own eyes and ears and experience and, and listening to what people say and what they don't say, uh, and also I look at things that people say with, uh, the, through the lens of what does this person have to gain – by either lying to me or not lying to me True. and, and if, you know, and, and you kind of give the smell test of things It's like, well, you know, if somebody, uh, I will put it this way. If, if there's a scientist who was hired by Exxon Mobil to tell me that, uh, you know, that the burning of fossil fuel was not, you know, responsible for, uh, uh, you know, the, the atmosphere warming, uh, I would say, okay, well, I have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because they are hired by the people who have a vested interest in us continuing to burn fossil fuel. That's what True. you know that that's their business. Um, so that you know, those those are some times when I can look at it and say, okay, well, I think this is a little suspect. Uh, and uh, so I'm you know I'm drawing conclusions based on some of my own gut feelings about things, which I know that all of a sudden I all the people that are into. Uh, uh, their own, they're invested in their own political view, or say, ah, yeah, you see, you're going with your own gut feeling. That's not reliable either. It's like, okay, but at a certain point, I've got to, I've got to be able to uh, decide whether something is likely to be true or likely not to be true. Uh, and I guess in the truest sense of the word, you know, we can't ever really be hundred percent sure of anything. And even scientists, I mean, you know, say, well, you know, the, based on the information that we have now, this is the conclusion that we've drawn. Mm-hmm. But based if we get new information, we may change that. Uh, conclusion, sure.
1: Uh,
0: and I know there's a lot of people that also have a problem even with that, <laughs>
1: right? So, and, and you mentioned the you know the example of a uh, you know scientists hired by an institution. Um, that and even that information, you probably had to dig pretty deep to find out that those scientists were not researching on their own accord. They're pro- certainly not you know shouting off the mountaintops that hey Exxon Mobil hired us to do this research here it is. They probably buried that pretty deep in there somewhere. So, it takes a certain amount of of patience and and uh, detective work to to be able to vet that something like that so
0: we might come to the conclusion then that well, since i can't really know one way or the other anyway, you know what do we do moving forward what how do we how do we behave now uh, you know as as humans on the planet uh, and 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 I'm going to just jump out for a second i'm going to say this i don't have any kids i don't I don't really have any investment in the future beyond the next, I don't know, if I, if I live to be 108, that's only 50 years from now. Mm. Right. And, and I know some of the data says, well, you know, there's going to be, you know, some food insecurity issues in the next 30 to 40 years. It's like, Oh, maybe that, maybe that'll be a problem for me at some point. But the truth is, is that, you know, for, for an individual right now, why should I care? Does it really matter to me whether or not, you know, uh, your kids are going to have a, a livable planet you know, I mean, morally, is that uh, do I have to take a moral position on that? Uh, and and for people that are that are, are vested in a political point of view, that wants to deny the science and say, well, you know, we're we we have to stop that acting so silly about this. Is that you know they're taking chances with you know if you're Kevin, if you're planning on having kids in the future, you know th- this is this is going to be something that's going to impact them. But why you know why the hell should I care?
1: True, and and I think the and again as as a person of the younger generation who most likely will have to shoulder the, the consequences of not acting on this now. Um, unfortunately, the people who are in power at the moment don't have a vested interest in them in themselves to, to change the way that we're, that we're operating. And they're basically gambling with, the livelihoods of other people and younger generations who will have to shoulder the consequences of that. And I think that's for elected officials, that's highly irresponsible in my opinion. Uh, Again, I may be biased again because of the generation that I belong to. Um, But that's, you know, that's something that I think about a lot.
0: So the, the, uh, the, the stuff shirts that uh, are, are in power now, maybe they aren't thinking about your future, but uh, I would, I would almost, I would, I would say that that's an that's an immoral or amoral position for anybody to take. I mean, I don't, I don't care how much money you have invested in a business if you're saying, well, I'm going to do what I need to do today to have corporate, you know, quarterly profits at the expense of, you know, many generations of human beings living on the planet. Uh, you know, that that seems that seems a little amoral or immoral and irresponsible to me as well. Mm-hmm. So let's ask the question then. Whether or not you believe in the science or or you trust your own uh, ability to draw a conclusion about the science that says the planet is warming as a result of us uh, filling the atmosphere with greenhouse gas and particulate emissions, what does it hurt for us to act as if it is true? And that's a question that, that people are are saying, well, you know, you can't just you can't just scrap the uh, you know the fossil fuel economy the way that it exists now because of you know the, the the infrastructure exists, you know, for for the whole the world economy operates on the infrastructure that's built around, you know, burning fossil fuel for energy and for transportation, et cetera. Um, so what does that what does that really look like if we say, all right, let's let's move to a a different Uh, fueled economy, a renewable fuels economy. Is there really, you know, is is there really an economic disaster uh, involved in that? And uh, I did see, and there's another one of those things where it's like I, I I Googled that question. uh, You know, what, what's the economic impact of that? And what I came up with was uh, Kenyan college. Actually, my nephew went there. Um, They have a whole article about uh, uh, whether or not transitioning to renewable energy would hurt the economy, uh, and the conclusion is that basically it won't. There are definitely some pain points for some industries, and I guess that's what it really boils down to: was that there are some industries that have a vested interest in not uh, transitioning to a, a different-based economy in terms of fuel and transportation.
1: So I, I saw you madly googling away there. What'd you get? Well, I, I that made me think of an article that came out just last week. Um, so during the UN climate change summit, which occurred you know just a few weeks ago um uh, some of the um scientists who were working with the the UN on this topic they came up with basically a hypothetical plan to temporarily halt the effects of uh of of cl- climate change um at least for 15 to 20 years until the technology to create a more sustainable um, a more sustainable sort of society is allowed to mature. Um, that would be a reasonable amount of time for that technology to become viable. Um, and they estimated the cost of this would be $300 billion. That sounds like a lot of money. Um, but if you, if you compare that to some other things, it's, uh, it's the GDP of Chile or the world's military spending every 60 days.
0: Every, so, 60 so the, the <laughs> every sixty days,
1: so the world's militaries spend three hundred billion dollars every sixty days. So we could spend that once, and they could t- technically or theoretically halt the effects of climate change for fifteen to twenty years.
0: for For the cost of sixty days of military spending, we could,
1: we could we could buy another twenty years of 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 viability for our world. Seems like a reasonably good investment, right? And and the whole plan is built around. Um, basically leveraging, um, soil development to capture some of the greenhouse gases. So that means planting trees, um, you know, or, uh, improving the, uh, or food crops and stuff like that to, to convert some of the carbon in the air into biomass.
0: Seems like it might be a, uh, a good thing to, uh, to do. Now I'm imagining, uh, I, was that an article that uh, you saw? where did you see that? Is it?
1: Uh, well it was it was published by the by the u n and it was you know kind of parroted out by various places um, but uh, it was pretty compelling I
0: it 'd be interesting to look at the commentary on that though was yeah. how many people are are like ah oh, you're that 's ridiculous you can 't do that or there 's no reason or blah 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 so i I, I think the uh, and, and and maybe you can come back this is the, you know I'm, and I like to state when something's my opinion so when I think about you know, the size of the economy as a whole. You know, whatever the size of our economy is, it's the size of the economy. It doesn't matter, you know, how we got there. It's the size of the economy. So if we decided that instead of, uh, you know, instead of going down this path where we rely on a fossil fuel-based energy uh, infrastructure, that we decided that we would switch to renewables and investing in those technologies instead of continuing to subsidize the, uh, the fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, you know, my gut tells me that the economy would be just fine. In, instead of people working in, you know, in oil refineries, they're working in, you know, solar panel plants, or they're working in, in those other technological fields that, you know, that are, are working on those fields. I mean,
1: we see, still need the people and the knowledge, no matter what it's Towards, yeah, I suppose
0: like like work is work, right? right. I mean, materials right. are materials, and technology. You know, it's like it. Right. It, it seems like that that the economic uh, argument is is a pretty flimsy one uh, when it comes to deciding that we'd be better off acting as if burning fossil fuels was not good for the planet. Mm. Um. So I, I guess. Uh, Evolving uh, out of our dependence would be, you know, there's no downside to the economy for that as a whole, except for certain industries. And I guess pushback from the stakeholders that are currently making big money are probably the single biggest hurdle in in getting some of these things changed. Being, I'd love to sit in on some of the some of the board meetings at uh, you know at a at an oil company. Sure. <laughs> or even, you know, when you think about the uh, the the electricity transmission industry in this country, it's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of it is, is actually run by private corporations. I mean, and this is something I don't really know a lot about, but I, I know that, you know, we, we, you know, we turn on a switch and electricity comes to our, our house mm-hmm. uh, and we, and we send money to a public utility every month. But these are, you know, these are corporations that are, are, you know, are publicly funded and, mm-hmm. and have shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. Those guys have a lot of, invested in the status quo.
1: Sure. Right? And I think that's the, probably the biggest hurdle to that is uh, there's certainly a billions upon billions of dollars tied up in what we know as the status quo. And changing any of that in any meaningful way is going to upset the people who have that, like you mentioned, that vested interest in that. Um, and I think the, uh, the belief that a, a corporation – will or should act ethically is suspect. Um, I don't think that uh, a corporation corporations will act ethically unless forced to, and that's just my opinion. Um, but, uh, that's, you know, I think that's one of the hurdles that, that we have to make and, and governments are going to have to take it upon themselves to regulate these corporations, if they want to make any meaningful change, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of these companies hold the economy hostage in many cases, and governments are afraid to mess with that.
0: Well, because the governments, a lot of the governments are, are funded by that, and I'm not even just talking about the United States. I mean, it, it's obvious that uh, that there's a lot of uh, a lot of money tied up in the politics here, but even around the world. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and I'll, I'll throw Putin under the bus. Uh, you know, Russia is, is basically, you know, they're, they're all about the fossil fuel and, and, uh, Vladimir Putin is the richest individual human being on the face of the earth. I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Uh, but that's a guy that has a lot of vested interest in maintaining the status quo and he works pretty hard at it, um, from what I can tell. Um, so I guess, uh, government uh, definitely will, will play a part in, in bringing about some of these changes, uh, but hopefully it will happen fast enough. So I was just trying to look up, uh, and I, I came up with all the wrong data. Um, but in looking at the the, the contributors to greenhouse gas, uh, you know, what, what are the things that are, are, are contributing? Uh, and the majority of it is actually coming from the production of energy. Uh, but I think the number is about 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions is coming from transportation uh, or, or uh uh, internal combustion engine uh, transportation, airplanes, you know, like uh, it's almost like two or 5% at some small number. And there are people out there that are, you know, quote unquote, the, uh, the woke liberals who are, you know, demanding that people stop flying or whatever. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to focus on that when the obvious low hanging fruit is to reduce the number of car trips. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple mm-hmm. um, that, that uh, you know, that reducing uh, car trips is a great step towards, uh, you know, mitigating some of these
1: issues. So you mentioned that air travel is like two to five percent. What what was the percentage for, for car travel? It was like
0: thirty percent. It's right. like it's so it it's so not even close uh, that you know. If, again, if you're looking at the low hanging fruit, it's uh, the you know the production of energy. You know, like electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, coal fired and and uh, and gas fired uh, electrical plants. Uh, and, and cars, I mean, trucks and cars on, on the roadway, you reduce those two things and you can pretty much solve the problem.
1: Mm.
0: Well, so I, I guess that's, uh, where I'm going with, uh, with all this, I'm going to, I'm going to say, what is the, what is the one way that we could reduce the amount of, uh, auto emissions, uh, that are out there on the road? And here it comes bikes to the rescue. So again, a bicycle is a really simple way to reduce the number of car trips, right? The more people riding bikes reduces greenhouse gases and particulate emissions. It is a self-evident fact that if you don't turn the car on, it's not going to uh, make anything go into the atmosphere. Um, and, and you know, so no matter how you look at it, there is no downside for using a bicycle for a short trip, uh, you know, and, I guess, well, people say, well, you know, it's cold or it's raining or whatever. Again, there are all sorts of straw men that people will put up as a reason for not using a bicycle for a short trip. Uh, and we are going to attack a lot of those uh, things in future episodes. Um, but suffice to say that that there are, are a lot of ways that you could use a bicycle instead of your car.
1: True. And just, just come off of that, I just took a, a quick search here. so. Um... According to the, so there's the Bureau of Transportation statistics from the U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, This data, it looks like it's from 2017. Um, So according to this, it says that uh, 87% of daily trips are in personal vehicles. And 91% of people commuting to work use a personal vehicle. Um, And that works out to be about... 1.1 1.1 billion trips a day and 11 billion miles a day.
0: Uh, 11 billion miles a day.
1: US daily travel averages 11 billion miles a day and about 40 miles per person.
0: Yikes. So I will also uh, throw it out there is that you know it's not really you know like it's just not bikes by themselves could uh, you know could solve some of these problems but if we think about the mass transit systems that we have in this country they are a joke. There is that we are we are so far behind uh, the the curve when it comes to high speed trains and, and rail corridors. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, riding their little folding bike to the train station and then getting on a high speed train to take them to their work. Uh, obviously, uh, would be a much more efficient way for us to move large numbers of people to uh, uh, you know to and from work.
1: And and just uh, another another tidbit. Um... This comes from the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. Uh, this is from May 21st, 2012. Um, according to this, the average trip length is less than 10 miles.
0: Right. And and what and what's the percentage of trips that are less than three miles?
1: I uh, hold well, that does not didn't find that in here. Um,
0: usually that statistic is, is included when, you know, anytime I've seen a paper that has that number, it usually has the other one as well.
1: So the, the average one-way trip to and from work is about 12.2 miles. Um, but I guess if we take out, if we take out commuters and work related stuff, so this is, this is shopping, personal business, school, church, medical, dental, um, social recreational activities, those are all. All between six and nine miles.
0: Six and nine miles. I would say that those are, uh, those are low-hanging fruit for people to use a bicycle for. So I'm going uh, I'm I'm to bring this to a, uh, to a final point here, and, and here it is. If you think climate change is real, using a bike for personal mobility can have a net positive effect. If you don't think it's real, riding a bike can make you healthier and happier and save you money anyway. What's not to love?
1: That's a true fact.
0: There you go. So I will put it out there again. It's bikes to the rescue. If you want to uh, improve the quality of your life and you want to help the planet out at the same time and save some money, et cetera, et cetera, that is what we recommend. We'll see you next time on... Bikes to the Rescue, the podcast that talks all about how bicycles can save the world. And uh, if you would like to comment on our podcast or have any questions or would like to uh, tell us how terrible we are, or how great we are, you can reach us at bikes to the rescue at cyclecraft.com. Kevin, anything else you want to add?
1: I think we covered it.
0: Okay. Until next time, we'll see you on Bikes to the Rescue.